bedtime bar stories on the spot at the bar. Impromptu, that's how we do. Darlings, and welcome back to Bedtime Bar Stories with me, Gina Noble, your story hunter in chief. Do I have something special for you today? Now, I see a lot of you posting on social media about the 80s in South Florida. The clothes, the hair, the decor. Well, Gina, a very young version anyway, was there, honey, and today... I'm going to take you right back with me to a place very close to my heart. So I started doing this show because I've spent my life working in bars and meeting so many amazing characters with the most incredible stories. Every bar from the downtown dive bar to the uptown champagne lounge, which I used to frequent a lot, is full of stories but only a select few bars became legends in their own right. The Bluebird Cafe in Nashville, for instance. The Troubadour in LA, definitely. And Marie's Crisis Cafe in New York is a must-see for sure. You know, some bars stay with you long after the night is over. And I don't mean the hangover. Well, this bar has stayed with me and many others, I might add, after its doors closed for good and the party, sadly, was definitely over. So what is the bar of which I speak so fondly? Well, it's Summers on the Beach, of course. Everybody knows Summers. It was the bar on the beach from the 80s to the 90s. It was spectacular. Always a line, naturally not for me, because I was always on the guest list (laughs) under someone's name, (laughs) because I am not standing in a line. But nevertheless, it was fantastic. There were amazing bands there. There were amazing bands, amazing acts that came through those doors. And just to be there during that time, you can't even imagine how spectacular it was. So Summers is and was quintessentially Fort Lauderdale in the 80s. And on today's episode, I have the honor of speaking with Suzanne and Alan Migdal, the impresarios behind the legend. As you'll hear, Summer's slogan was a season to remember. Well, this is a story to remember. And oh, such a story it is. From a young Johnny Depp trashing backstage to David Cosby hiding in his tour bus before delivering an acapella masterclass to Joan Jett demanding a bigger stage to a fighting bear and a Playboy six-page spread. I mean, my God, the centerfold doesn't even get a six-page spread. (laughs) So let's head back in time to Fort Lauderdale in the early 80s. But before we go, I can tell you from experience that if we're going to Summers on the Beach, we're definitely going to need a drink. And in honor of Summers and one of Suzanne's stories in particular, this week's drink is a twist on the 80s classic, the one and only cocktail, Sex on the Beach, which simply enough, I'm calling summer on the beach, but I'm going to switch it up because I really don't like peach schnapps. I don't care for it. 
And that's a story in itself. When I was 18 and somebody gave me, they wanted me to drink 18 shots of peach snops and I ended up in the back of my car, passed out. <laughs> I mean, it's okay, but oh, the memory, it was horrifying. No. And then like, they all went, my friends, these are my friends. And they put me back there. They thought they were keeping me safe. And they went back in the club and watched the show. And then they came back when it was over. And I'm still in the backseat of my car. My IROC Z28, the one that I drove to Florida in, remember? Okay. So normally sex on the beach is simply just vodka and peach snops and cranberry juice and orange juice but since i'm not a lover of peach snops and we all know why i'm going to switch it up and use peach vodka which is actually stretching it a little as well me having peach anything in a cocktail but we'll go there today <laughs> and then i want to genify it the vodka I chose for this instead of just plain old boring vodka, because we all know there's nothing about me that's boring. I'm going to do a mango pineapple vodka. Okay. And then we're going to just add a splash of cranberry. This sounds yummy already. It's not even 12 noon and I'm making cocktails that I'll probably finish drinking. <laughs> now we're going to put our shaker. So we put ice in. The shaker, we put the peach vodka in, we put the mango pineapple vodka. By the way, that's made by Svedka. Svedka vodka, which isn't bad. And then we put cranberry and orange and we're gonna shake. And then we're gonna strain. How pretty. It's this lovely, like rosy color cocktail, not really pink. It's just rose color. I'll have to take a picture. Oh, that's quite yummy. Oh, that's delish. Oh, yeah, you got to try that, guys. That's it. That's a wrap. That's a genified sex on the beach <laughs> or a summer's on the beach. <laughs> Enjoy, guys. Oh, so how apropos. We're just about to start the story. So with that being said and drink in hand, let's start the story. Gina Noble, your story hunter-in-chief, and we are lucky to be here today on Bedtime Bar Stories with some wonderful, famous people. They actually are not only going to tell us some wonderful history about Fort Lauderdale, they pretty much are Fort Lauderdale history <laughs> because their nightclub and their establishment that they had back in the 80s and 90s was known all over the world. So I'm going to take this moment. I'm going to introduce you to Suzanne McDowell. Is that pronounced correct? McDowell, yes. McDowell. yes. Okay. Yes. And also Alan McDowell. Yes. Okay. Correct. Yes. So we are here today and we are out to lunch and we are going to hear some wonderful stories from them. They're going to tell us a little bit about who they are, some of the things, the people they met, the places they've been, um, the people who have been in their establishment are famous names that you'll hear to this day and they were truly lucky and we are all blessed that they were in Fort Lauderdale because a good time was had by all and uh, a lot of great memories a lot of great memories yeah, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. came from your club so Summers on the Beach was part of the famous Fort Lauderdale strip we were in business from 1980 to 1992 we were the concert dance club yep. 
uh, on the strip on the middle of the block. So if you were walking down the strip, you would see back then the Howard Johnsons were was there the button the, the button the button the button you had the button the on elbow the room the button on the beach the elbow room summers was in the middle of the block the candy store was on the next corner and then penrods so that was the strip back then in fort lauderdale the holiday inn was where the button was so um we were they started this club back in when? So we were we were in business in 1980. The club had actually been there originally from where the boys are uh, movie. It was back then. It was Omar's tent and went on to become the Ocean Mist, and then uh, we, Ocean Mothers, Ocean, Ocean Mothers, and Ocean Mist, and then the Ocean Mist, and we we ended up, which is a story on its own, how we. Ended up in the nightclub business, and that we all want to hear. And it, believe it or not, guys, this ties in to one of our previous stories about the mutiny in Miami. That, so, yes, that's true. So, so when Alan Migdal uh, was go, was, had finished law school at Wake Forest University, he was getting his LM, his taxation as an attorney, and he and I met at the Mutiny, which was a private club in Coconut Grove, uh, in Sailboat Bay, in there in Miami. And I was undergraduate at University of Miami, and so no one can ever say you can't meet a nice guy at a bar, because <laughs> that's a myth, and you can, uh, and lots and lots of, of guests, customers, employees, staff, fell in love, had romances, um, and found Mr. Right instead of Mr. Right now at, <laughs> at Summers and um, probably lots of other clubs. So Alan can fill you in on the genesis of how we ended up buying a club in Fort Lauderdale or Fort Lickerdale, as uh, people like to suggest, which is a title that's been around from the bootlegging days of... Fort Lauderdale history from the drug runners from the bootlegging from the bootlegging the days. rum runners the, the yes the the rum runners out of Cuba Key West and ended up in Fort Lauderdale uh, during prohibition yes. and that's how that that name was coined uh, the uh, Fort Fort Lickerdale so tell us tell us how you acquired Summers because like that's that's on the on the charts that's on the books forever <laughs> yes yes it is. <laughs> So I came to Fort Lauderdale. I used to come down every year for spring break while I was in college. And, um, and while I was in, uh, after law school, I got my LLM in tax at Miami. And during the same time period, I was selling, uh, I, I was in, been in the t-shirt business for, uh, for a number of years. Uh, um, and uh, I'd come down and I'd sell t-shirts at some of the local bars while I was going to school down here. Way to make money. Yeah, it was uh, exactly, and, and, and not only that, I uh, actually opened up three retail T-shirt stores because we had a factory in uh, in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, called Al Tough Screen Printers, and uh, and we opened up basically three retail stores to you know uh, while we're down here. Uh, so, uh, and in my uh, journey of selling T-shirts to various bars and clubs. I had met the the owner of the Ocean Mist at the time, and um, I started selling him T-shirts. And um, then uh, 
after uh, law school, I started practicing, doing some doing tax work for the first five years, and uh, I was um, uh, the owner of the uh, Ocean Miss asked me if I could assist him, and he knew I was uh, basically doing tax work if I could help him, you know, with, with the retire with his tax issues or retirement plans. So um, we um, or I. I'd helped him uh, develop a defined benefit plan, which he put away a lot of money. I saw what kind of money the man's making, and <laughs> and uh, and so uh, a couple years later, uh, I guess uh, in 1980, when we bought the, the club, uh, he had said he's ready to retire, and uh, and I can make more money in the nightclub business and practicing law. And I saw how much money he was putting away, so he so he sold it to us. And uh, again, we were living in Miami. But you fell into that. Like he didn't even advertise that to anyone else. No, he just offered no, it to you. Exactly. How, how, how often does that happen? Yeah. yeah. Like it was I, almost meant to be for you guys to fall into place and to do what you did. And yeah. You, and we had, we had some experience already. Uh, Alan had promoted concerts with the Shirelles when he was in college. Okay. And so he knew yeah. a little bit about the yeah. entertainment world. And from the time I was a teenager, my roots were really in rock and roll because I had worked as a flower girl for large festival concerts for Jerry Powers, who was a publisher for Ocean Drive magazine, but at the time was a concert promoter. And uh, so I knew a lot of the bands uh, personally and I mean, I had met I had met everybody from from Janis Joplin to to Jimi Hendrix, and I was only 15 years old at the time. So um, so we brought that to the club. I worked at the uh, I worked at the television station before um, as a uh, uh, after graduating from University of Miami in television and film. So we brought all that to the club, and I wrote the radio copy for Summers. But our business really developed when uh, we saw the line for the first spring break outside of the button. And, and we said, yeah, look, they have a long line. Why isn't our line long or longer? So Alan uh, started marketing in college newspapers all over the United States. Wow, that was smart. Yeah. And well, why don't you just jump back for a second and say, how did you come up with the name Summers? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Because, because we had bought it in June of 80, and the first six months we were still the Ocean Mist. Yeah. And uh, we decided to change the, uh, the name and the concept of the club to uh, rock and roll. And Suzanne Yeah, so, so we had this T-shirt bathing suit store that was really a couple doors down on the strip in Fort Lauderdale. And while we were in the store talking to, there was this, this beautiful girl, little girl came in and her name, her mother kept calling her and her name was Summer. And I said to, to, and she just had a face of an angel and I said, Helen, that's the name, Summers. I said, Summers, I said, look, uh, Summers, who doesn't like Summers? Everybody likes their Summers, so Summers on the beach was that's amazing that you came up with that just like that you just knew yeah and it was it was just came out of heaven and and so we said yeah who doesn't like in summers uh the season to remember and that was one of our 
logos, the season to remember. Everybody, every everybody loves summers. So uh, with that, we we changed the name of the club and we changed the music, and we started to investigate house bands, live bands, uh, and and you had bands every night of the week. You said yeah, seven nights a week. Seven nights, and we had a cover mm -hmm. band, and we also had national concert acts, which started with Rick Derringer, and then we were Phantasma Productions. John Stoll owned the company at the time. John Valentino was uh, his his head guy, and we became the venue for Phantasma, breaking bands and introducing national acts, which started with Joan Jett. Back in the 80s, she was it. She still is. Great. Yeah. <laughs> we had uh, the first Rick Derringer. Rick Derringer, right, uh, right before that. Yeah. Then fooled uh, around and fell, fell in love. Yeah. Uh, Elvin Bishop. Elvin Bishop. He was actually yeah. our first He was concert. one of our first acts. Act, but yeah. Joan Jett, what happened with her was the stage was not as big as she would have liked it. So our bartender, our manager, David Milkey, said, I'll just build a stage on top of the back bar. <laughs> and she performed on, on that bar. On on the stage and her and the backdrop of her uh, VIP backstage room was our Olympic size swimming pool, which was part of our day business in Fort Lauderdale. So when we were unlike any other club, I think, in the world because we had a night business and a day business. Yes, you did. The day business, you know, was was part of what the Olympic size swimming pool was all about, and, and Joan Jett used that as her dressing room. And then after the show, being all sweaty, she jumped in the pool with all her all her clothes, and so did the entire band. <laughs> That's crazy. They all went in the pool afterwards. Well, when she performed, she had so many lights. Yeah, that we so many lights on stage. It was so hot up there. Oh, right. Yeah. And she was she was a yeah she she was a real rock and roller. I mean, she came in with this Italian T-shirt, and I asked her. I said, "Where where are your roadies to take all the equipment and all the stacks of of?" And she said. We do it ourselves. Wow. And I said, okay, oh okay. Goodness. I said, don't you, don't you want one of our doormen, our security to help you load in? She goes, no, we do it ourselves. Oh I said, okay, fine. <laughs> so we had, that was a part of our introduction into the concert business. But we went on to not only have sometimes 15 live bands a week because we had showcases on Sunday for bands. So a lot of the bands... For live music, new uh, one of the bands, the local bands that we were we were happy to have. Uh, they were not famous back then, but became well known is the Kids, and that was the band that Johnny Depp, the He's from Florida, from Florida, from Miramar, Florida, the superstar, um, started out his career. So he lived in Hollywood, Florida, in Miramar. And he was just one of the local bands that we had out of Fort Lauderdale and some new, even some new wave bands. But Johnny Depp yeah. was, I mean, he, he, he was, as a front man, of course, all the girls were in love with him. I'm sure. He was adorable. <laughs> but uh, my experience with him 
was we had a dressing room at the side of our stage. And um, we had a rule that the bands were not allowed to put anything on the walls. So graffiti on the walls. And a lot of the bands did anyway. I said, but if you do this, we have to charge you an up fee. And you're not, you're going to take it out of your salary right. for the band. And of course we told the kids not to put anything on the walls and we would go back into the dressing room and check it before we paid them. So Johnny Depp shows up and uh, I said, well, let me go. And he says, I would like to pick up our check. And we had an upstairs office, a lot of stairs that went up to the top, which was basically an apartment up there with it, a full shower. And, and I said, well, let me check the band room. So I go back to the band room. I look, and of course they put graffiti on the walls. It was against the rules. And I looked at him and I said, you put graffiti on the walls, didn't you? He goes, yeah. And he had these crocodile eyes <laughs> that looked at me with almost tears in them. And we're walking back to the office together, step by step. I'm gotten to the stairwell. He says, please, please pay us the full amount. Because if you don't pay us, we literally are not going to eat. Oh. And I, I just, it was. And they all started like he, yeah, he broke my heart, and I just caved at those big eyes. I would have done the same. I probably would have gave him more. <laughs> and, and I said to him, I said, look, I said, uh, I'm not going to charge you this time, but next time you play Summers, please don't put graffiti, because we have to repaint it for every band that comes in there. And we did that over and over and over oh my again. Wow. Yeah. What a story. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Interesting. And there's another story about David Crosby from the famous band, of Crosby course. Crosby Steals and Nash? Yeah, Crosby Stills and Nash. And he was working off a gun charge. Uh, since after John Lennon was murdered, he started carrying a gun. Oh. So wow. he he actually also fell in love with a local Miami girl named Jan Dance, but he 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 decided that he he needed money for his lawyers. So he we were fortunate enough that he would play our club, okay. and we were concerned though about his history with drugs and all. So Phantasma had booked the show, and the tour bus pulls up. It was 1983. I think the tickets for general admission at that time were $9 for a concert. <laughs> Imagine. And, yeah. Oh I mean, God. today, uh, you know, you're paying fortunes to see bands like uh, Bruce Springsteen oh, and Adele and mm -hmm. just everybody, the Stones. So back then it was affordable. So there are so many people. Well, the yeah, we were packed and, you know, spring break, of course, we had lines down the block. So when David Crosby pulled up the bus, um, they, we usually do a sound check, a right. rehearsal. Right. And the band comes in and uh, the, you know, the, the manager of the band comes out and says, you know, he's not going to do a sound check and he's not going to do a rehearsal. Huh. And uh, oh. the, uh, <laughs> the owner of Phantasmic comes over and checks the, checks the club for the stage and everything, make sure everything's okay. And in the dressing room, this same dressing room, there's a large tank, a blue large tank inside the dressing room. Helium tank. It's a oh, helium really? tank. For him? No, it will. 
we, okay. well, that's we the had thing. A, uh, we had a promotion the night before. And oh. We, Blowing up balloons. 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 Okay. And, and when the manager came in and, and John came in, he goes, oh, my God. He goes, you know that David Crosby's freebasing in the bus. And, 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 and you have that, that tank there. He's going to blow up your club. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> he, says, you better, he says, you better really, you know. And, and, and we, we, I mean, Alan looked at him and said. Deer in headlights, like what? Yeah, he says, "Oh no, no, that was for the promotion. It's not, not, not for, you know, not for him to freebase back there with that. No, it's not. Although, you know, the band said, look, you know, he's he hasn't been coming out of the bus. He just talks to us in a little window that he raises up and then he puts down. So we were really worried at the time whether he was going to perform, how he's going to perform. The show was completely sold out. It was oh oversold." My God. And, and we no and we had a, a nine hundred or thousand capacity. We had a thousand, close to a thousand capacity. Probably had twelve hundred and fifty people there. Yeah, and I mean it was just. I mean, you know, we get it turned. Yeah, For I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a small venue, and yeah. you know, everybody wanted to come see him. Yeah, but, and he uh, he was did he show up? incredible. He he wow. he could he did even an acapella song. And told, stood up on stage and went, shh, everybody be quiet. Had everybody sit down, be quiet while well, he did an a cappella song. He said, he wow. said, you know, he played for about 25 minutes. I mean, he did songs like, you know, you know Wooden wow. Ships and Long Time Gone and Almost Cut My Hair and Guinevere, all his super hits. But what's surprising about him and surprising about um, some other artists that we've had play Greg Allman five times um, or six times, and uh, is that no matter how stoned they were, they, they got up and performed. They <laughs> just knocked your socks off, and wow. and also when you look at today, people like Jay, that played our club, like Dave, Dave Mason and Pure Prairie League and po Poco, and all these bands are still performing, and mm -hmm. some of them are. 78 years old and still going strong yeah you know? yeah so Rolling shows. yeah but Look so so the yeah. way that we really marketed the club because back then there was no internet there was no cell phones oh, right we did it with and yet you had all those people yeah. show up around the world so besides the college For over a decade marketing we ran the airplane banner across the beach and oh, yeah. and we you know we would advertise our pool party which started with um, with usually a drink special. And then we had the uh, beer chug relay, the belly flop contest. <laughs> and we used to say climax the day with our wettest wet t-shirt contest. So we, we, you know, that was, we had a cash prize of $175 uh -huh. for the best wet t-shirt contest. But first, second, third, 150 and 25 for the first three in the wet t-shirt contest. And of course we provided the t-shirts, uh, right, right. which, which, which were, you know, became designer t-shirts because the girls would all rip them. Yeah. Rip, they'd rip, all right. redesign. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you know, we, there were out of that, out of that experience uh, marketing the pool, we had all sorts of corporate uh, entities that would come and and rent the pool for the day. For instance, back then they had the cigarette companies. Mm. So we had Newport Alive with Pleasure. Okay. And we had Camel. 
Camel paid for the national concert acts like Jan and Dean and the Beach Boys and also published a newspaper. We had the National Lampoon toga party. And well, let's see. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's all right. Yeah. Well, we had a lot of the, the, they would come and uh, provide the contest money and, you know, and they sample with their products. Naturally. Everybody. So they were doing right. promotions as well. Right. 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 So right. I have a question for you. I, earlier you were talking, I mean, interrupt you. You were talking about what was very interesting was when you were talking about the beer that you sold during spring break. Was yeah. that a particular concert? You, you said something about when you sold yeah. all that, all that well, beer for the day? Yeah. Well, well uh, the biggest day of the year probably is St. Patrick's Day. Oh, that was it, the St. Patrick's Day, St. Patrick's yes. Day falls in the middle of uh, spring break. Yes, right, and, March. And it just so happens that all the big schools are out there, you know, like Michigan State, Ohio State, a right. lot of the big schools are out there. Right. So it's like one of our biggest days of the year. So the St. Patrick's Day, we'd order 50 kegs of beer, 25 kegs were green beer. So we, that day, we'd sell out all 50 kegs, you know, plus another 100 cases of Budweiser, another 100 cases of vodka. I mean, oh it, was, it, was just a, it was just a big, big, big day. An enormous amount of... But the big thing was the keg beer, yeah. 50 kegs. 50 kegs. <clears throat> oh, my God, that's insane. That's okay. So a lot, a, lot, okay. <laughs> a, lot of the, a lot of the college students, though, would buy pitchers of beer. That was their favorite. Oh, they buy right. pitchers of beer. And uh, Budweiser and Miller and some of the bigger companies, and we had Jägermeister that had the oh, Jägermeister girls. We had the Budweiser girls. But they would come in and they would cover all the walls of Summers with posters. So people could take them. Yeah. And the, nice. and the college kids would take home souvenirs, hats. Uh, Budweiser had a lot of hats. And, and also the cigarette companies and La Tigre Sportswear did events there. We had the mechanical surfboard. So we had, uh, we had uh, all these national brands that would come in. Backing you guys. And they would literally rent the pool for the day. Oh, fun. And then they would give out all of the premiums that they would have. Uh, Hawaiian Tropic, Banana, you know, all the, all the, all the suntan companies um, would come in and give out samples. Free samples. That must have been amazing back then to be able to have all that. You didn't have to pay really for anything. You just, except for your t-shirts. Yeah. You know, so. And it was great for the students because everybody got a, a, a souvenir. Something to take back. To, to and, and I think anybody that's now would be, you know, up there in age. What we've heard the most is it was the greatest time of my life. Right. And it just chokes you up because they might have gotten married. They might have children. They might have huge careers. And yet these adults will the, always remember they have a special place in their heart for Fort Lauderdale for spring break and for the time in their life where they had everything in front of them well I think that's a great place to end part one wasn't that amazing but I have to tell you this is so spectacular and so interesting that there's going to be a part two, guys, because there's so much more to tell you. There's so much more to come. Suzanne there captured perfectly not only what made Summers on the Beach special, but why I do this show. 
and why I love spending my life working in bars. I mean, I never thought I would grow up and say, oh, I wanna work in bars, but you know what? There's never a dull moment. There's a story around every corner. There's new, exciting people to meet. There's fun recipes and, and things to do behind the bar and making these recipes and learning all kinds of ingredients. And it's just, it's never boring for me. And I love it. And that's why I do this show. So guys, without saying any more, basically that sums it up. Bars can be so much more than just a place to have a drink. They become part of your story where you can make memories of good times that last a lifetime. We'll be back next week, same time, same place, with part two. Ciao for now, my darlings. <laughs>